Welcome to ConExpo ConAg Radio, where we bring you boots on the ground perspectives from construction business owners and industry experts about their successes, challenges, and whatever else is on their minds. Consider them your own personal mentors on technology implementation, equipment solutions, business management, and more, enabling you to apply their expertise to your business. Held every three years in Las Vegas, ConExpo ConAg is North America's largest construction trade show. For even more ways to connect with the industry, visit conexpoconag.com forward slash connect. We've got another great guest on the show today, so let's dig in. Thank you so much for joining us for another season of Contractor Conversations on ConExpo ConAg Radio. I'm your host, Missy Sherber, and this year we're taking a deep dive into what it takes to be an effective leader in construction. From business development to employee recruitment and retention to enhancing your soft skills, we're here to help you level up. Joining us today is Michael Bowman, owner of Bowman Legacies. Michael Bowman has been a life coach, pastor, mentor, and culture guru. He has devoted his life to helping others realize their true potential. In today's episode, we will dig into leading with joy and humility, as well as building a culture based on honesty, ethics, and respect. Michael's straightforward approach to everyday problems helps organizations of all sizes usher a great work environment for those in blue-collar professions. All right, Michael. Well, welcome to the show. So excited to have you here. We just had our pre-powwow and I'm just like jumping at the, I'm jumping out the microphone right now. Like, let's do this. <laughs> you know, we've actually, you know, you and I, we've skirted around each other for about two, almost three years, just kind of back and forth. I literally stood, stood about three feet from you. What? Yeah. What? And, and you didn't and say hi. Were, there was tons of people everywhere and all kinds of people were asking questions and stuff. So I just went to Aaron's party and just called it good. Oh, wow. So you just ditched me for the dirt nerd. I get it. I get it. Aaron's <laughs> well, a friend and I love him dearly. And so he's awesome. Well, Michael, welcome to the show. We're so grateful to have you, uh, your thoughts, your wisdom um, on season two of Contractor Conversations. Um, For those who might not know you, who might not follow your amazing Instagram, which is so inspirational and uh, fun to watch, why don't you just give them a quick background on, you know, quickly what you did before construction and then a preview of your construction career. um, And then we'll talk about what you're doing now. Um, I started off... uh... I went to school for being in a non-for-profit, for counseling people, uh, married families. I worked at a ministry that uh, ministered to one percenter bikers for seven years, and I counseled them, did inner city, inner prison uh, ministries, uh, was on the suicide watch for a local jail. Uh, so if someone was in that way, uh, they would chain him to a table and put me in front of him, and I would have to convince him of why he needed to live. <laughs> and yeah, and then... Um, we just kind of came to that place where it's like, I realized, you know, even though I was making a difference in people's lives, I didn't see a way to, I don't know, maybe to market that or, and and we just weren't making the finances that we needed to move forward. So um, I had a good friend of mine that was a driller and he, uh, for Blastle Driller, and he was like, Mike, I can get you on tomorrow. And he literally did. I mean, I was, I, I had an office 
I had someone that would print off stuff for me. And then the next minute, I'm literally standing on a 54 foot ledge with uh, unconsolidated material broken and falling everywhere. I mean, literally the next day. Someone needs to hire that recruiter that got Michael Bowman into the construction from counselor to construction worker. I love that. Right. <laughs> it was minus 30 that day, the wind chill factor. And um, Beard was in its smaller, younger stage, but. We all had, I mean, there was ice on our eyelashes. There were, I, I, every place we had a place that was showing, there was ice on it. You got sold. <laughs> oh, I did. I was like, oh my God, what have I done? And then I uh, got put in my own rig. I, I uh, ran a Sandvik DI 550. And on those good days where it's running good and you're getting footage, it was a phenomenal job. I loved doing it. I loved dealing with the customers. I loved walking in the door and a superintendent say, thank God it's you and nobody else. And then the, um, the safety role opened up. Our safety guy felt like uh, he always wanted to start his own business. So Andrew, he started his own business. And I said, you know what? I think I can do this. And so I just love people. I love people and was able to, you know, mitigate some citations that we had with MSHA that we had thrown out of in conference that were supposed S and S's. And so I was very successful and kind of got known for that. It's kind of like that gunslinger, you know, <laughs> and so that was like, I got him knocked out in conference, which never happens. And so I got known for that. And then um, I started talking to this guy named Keaton Turner. Oh, Keaton Turner, one of our previous guests. What a guy. <laughs> started talk I actually talked to him a couple of weeks ago and I still talk with Keaton. And um, I started talking with him just about culture started talking to him about safety and just, I saw a few of his posts and I thought, this guy is kind of rad, man. I just got to figure this guy out. And so um, I had no plans. I, I really was coasting. I was doing really well. I had the job just so automated, so easy for me. After five years of doing it, it was just an easy job. And um, he offered me a job. And we went back and forth for probably about two months, me just saying no. And he said, just meet me for coffee. We live in the same town. Meet me for coffee, for God's sakes. And so I was like, all right, I'll meet you for coffee. And by, by the end of the conversation, I was like, I called my wife. I said, yeah, I just, um, I just took a job. It was over. Keaton, was over. Keaton is the man. I mean, I love the way he just approaches operators at every level, just as team members. So you were done. You were done the minute you said yes to coffee. <laughs> I, I was hooked. Um, he could sell water to a drowning man. That's a great talent. <laughs> and, uh, so uh, I started with him literally in the infancy of, of the organization. I mean, um, as GM, I did everything that you can imagine. And uh, there, really, there really wasn't a definition to my job for the first year because, you know, and that's what Keaton told me. He's like, I pretty much just need you to do whatever I ask you to do. So I dabbled in everything from HR payroll, um, hire, fire, recruiting. Um, oh my gosh, fleet management, safety, and then eventually ended up being the cultural guru there. Yeah. That, and that happens a lot with the infancy of a company. We're going through that now with the demolition exiting company. We've struggled on hiring and firing with the office team. And it's like, I don't know your role yet. I still have to figure out what I need. And sometimes it's hard, you know, for people that it's, it's a tough thing, but it takes a really committed um, person to really go through those early stages of business with someone. So well, for um, me, I, it was all about just carrying that shield, you know, at Bowman Legacies, we have the sword and the shield as our, 
as our logo. And that's just something that's been real big for me. And so I liked Keaton. It was like, I just, I want to carry your shield. And it wasn't, you know, roses and sunshine and unicorns every day. Never is. We've had some pretty livid conversations, he and I, back and forth. Mostly me. I'm pretty vocal. So you brought kind of your skill set from the previous mining company. You brought that to Turner Mining Group. You spent a few years and what really looked like on Instagram was just some great team members. And it sounds like it started with safety, but then... From when I'm reading your Instagram posts, you really started to mentor a lot of these guys out in the field just beyond safety. Tell me about that transition or, or how that happened. Well, with my position, and I think a little bit of my character, uh, I tend to want to be there for people a lot more. And I think that's a lot uh, self-preservation because I need it, right? You know, I need that kind of grace. I need that kind of help too. So you see, I just was extending, you know, that kind of love for the guy. And, you know, having a in the field, I know what it's like to be in the dirt. And so I know some of these guys were away from home. They're away from family. Some of them had wives and children, you know. And so for me, my passion was for them. Like, you know, I, I was told by one of the guys who's, who's, uh, was on staff was asked me why I didn't stay in nicer hotels when I would go to like San Jose. I'd stay with the guys. And I said, because those are my men. If they're not eating, I don't want to eat. If they're laying on the ground, I'm laying on the ground. So I would couch it in their apartments that they were staying in so I could get the understanding and the dynamic of what their everyday and their culture was like. And too few leaders want to do that. They want to stay in the nice hotel. They want to have the nice plane tickets. They want to sit up front and they want to have the nice dinners and they want to go to Con Ag and they want to be schmoozed by clients. And they, they want to do these things, but they fail to realize that staying in the dirt with your people and actually learning how they live and humbling yourself in that way, it changes that dynamic of your culture and the understanding of the way your people live and what they need on a daily basis. And so I was able to do that. And my phone sits by my bed. So 24 hours a day, three o'clock in the morning, I get phone calls from California. Um, I, you know, talked to a guy, two people actually out of suicide of which one had the firearm in his hand. And so that kind of gave me that uh, trajectory towards that cultural side of things. Yeah. So you were kind of, you, you've really been on several sides of it. You were general manager, you know, in that position where you're leading guys, but you had been the guy. And you knew, hey, there's a unique approach in how to reach these guys. And, and really, when you can do that off the field, it's amazing what you can do on the job site. You, you can accomplish big things when you're connected like that. So your leadership style, which kind of leads me to my next question of, you know, before we lead into more of what you're doing now. So you go from in the drill rig to, you know, leading at that company in the safety area, then going to Turner, starting to lead teams, not just in safety, but as human beings and as people. Um, and I'm assuming in those years, you really developed a leadership style, which it sounds like it's pretty, uh, I'm going to sleep on the couch if you're in this, <laughs> if you're here. Describe your leadership style, and then I want to talk about what you're, what you're up to now. So my leadership style, as I said, I think I answered it one time, as all in. When I ask someone to come on board with me or I'm leading a team, I have a lot more grace, I think, than most people do. And I'm willing to work with someone because I really realize that every person on your team has greatness within them. 
but you as a leader need to drive that out. All too often, we're production-based, and a lot of companies are production-based. And so if the guy's not good in a haul truck, he's not good in a dozer, he's not good in a haul, well, then he's just not good. And that's not necessarily always the case. I'm also big on making clear lines of accountability for these people. A lot of the times, people just show up on the job sites, and we do not train them enough and go further enough with them so they have a clear understanding of what's expected of them so that when they have that opportunity to fail, which they will, you can hold them accountable to where they have fallen and bring them up. And I think that's just not always the approach that people take, but I've watched it win time and time and time again, where people were so faithful to me. You know, I had one of my old bosses, Matt Boatman, and I'm, I'm forever grateful for him to have told me this. I, he told me, he said, Michael, there's two kinds of leaders. He said, there's one that says, let's take that hill. And then everybody else on the team backs up and hopes he gets shot. <laughs> and then there's the other leader says, let's take that hill. And then everybody on his team just rushes to get past him. So he doesn't get in harm's way. And that's the kind of leader that I choose to be. It's not always easy, but it's the best way to bringing teams to a cohesive understanding of what you're doing and getting everyone to understand their value. And that perpetuates a team that moves forward faster, harder, that work longer hours. You've got to continue to feed them with that kind of vision. And I think that when we're in such a production-based community, it's just easy to throw someone out and get someone new. For sure. And, you know, to be 100% transparent with you, we've struggled with that personally, like as a small business, because no production is so costly for us when we're this small. And I always say, oh, I wish we were 10 times bigger and I could afford to keep him on and, and train him and do this. And But it's like at some point we have to figure that out. We have to figure out, like you said, how one, I think we've we've successfully, our team wants to run out ahead and be like, let's take this hill, let's go. But then we kind of hit a wall at some point with, with some of our team members of now what, and am I valuable here? And well, am I accountable? And am I accountable for the good and the bad? And we, we've struggled through that. And so that was why I was so excited to talk to you today, because I want to, I want to raise my hand and say, I'm guilty of, <laughs> Oh, hey, I need a culture. I need a good culture. And I want a good culture, I have a vision and a dream for it. But it, it, I've struggled for what, what's next in building a good culture. So you just described your leadership style. So now help me describe as a leader, like how to take that and develop a strong culture for our company. I think it all starts with understanding that we start businesses. We were as entrepreneurs, we are passionate about starting businesses. Um, I've always said about Keaton, one of the days he's going to start a pancake factory or God knows what golf carts. I don't know, but it's not going to stop with Turner Mining. It's just going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, um, but the problem is you immediately jettison yourself in as a leader. And leader is not a destination. We have to stop looking at it in such a hierarchical view. Like you're standing on top and you're looking down if you flip the script on that, it's more like a funnel and you're at the bottom looking up and, and to serve your people properly, you have to lead them properly. And you're, even if you're, if you're single and you're listening to this right now, you're a leader, you're leading your own life. If you're a father, if you're a mother, if you're, you know, you, you're leading your family. 
And to do that successfully, everybody has to be aware of the lines of accountability and where they are. Uh, I once had a friend that said, you can't hire friends or family. And that's the biggest lie. <sighs> Sometimes when we hire buddies, you know, they work really hard at first and they're super passionate. And then after a while, they lose passion and they kind of just feel like they can do whatever they want. And we see that with families sometimes, you know, and um, the kid, the owner's kid comes on and, and everybody hates the guy because <laughs> he's not being held accountable to the same rules. But we have to be very pragmatic and take our emotions out of that situation and say, hey, I'm here to lead. So in order for me to lead and steer this horse properly, first has to have a bit and that bit has to be put in its mouth in such a way it doesn't even know it's there so I can steer it in the right direction. In other words, when you're balancing things on the side of what is your culture, that's even part of your culture. The culture of how you lead is so valuable. It's so important. And it all starts with accountability as the chief cornerstone. The chief cornerstone to everything is accountability. Look, if you and I were sorting, you know, uh, uh, bobcats with a switch today. <laughs> Sounds fun. Going, yeah, right? <laughs> That's an old saying the hillbillies here uh, where I'm from say, if we were to do that, guess what? We better have a plan and there needs to be accountability because I don't want to get hurt and I want you to go home with all your fingers and toes. So often that's what our businesses are like. We're jettisoning forward so fast and we're moving forward so fast that it's just like, we're just trying to throw the right person into that job just so that we can get that job done. Get it done. Yeah, absolutely. We're definitely guilty of that, you know, just like, we want to get the job done. We want to give them the hours. We want to make sure everyone's provided for and has a meal at the table. So it's just production, production. And honestly, there's not a lot of example out there of good cultures within the construction industry. So we have this norm within our industry and excitingly enough, it's starting to shift, you know, where, which is why consultants, coaches like you are so important to help guide us on something we've never seen before. Um, you know, it's kind of easy, like for me to be like, oh, all of our cultures just suck. And how are we going to fix this? And da, 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 you know, just kind of like the pessimist. And then it's like, no, this is exciting. This hasn't been done before in our industry. This hasn't been a priority. And now it is, this is great. Let's, let's talk about that. So where someone like me says, I'm ready to build a strong culture for my teams. What do my teams need? Where do I start? What would be your advice if you had you know, just a couple minutes with me of Missy, start here and here's what your teams need most. Right. I have the most awesome privilege to know a man named Herb Sargent. He's become a personal friend of mine and um, I dearly love the man. I do. Um, he and I have talked on the phone together and both cried <laughs> and he shared some harrowing stories of his life and I mine and and uh, I love what he, he does. And one of the things that he does is, I think in the very beginning of his company organization, he defined his culture. And that's one of the things that he and I both see eye and eye. You have to define, Missy, the culture that you desire. You know, too often companies are putting out these, they have these vain practices. They'll have these days where they bring everybody in and all of a sudden we're going to come up with our core values and yay, these are our core values. And then the next year, you know, your high is a kite because you feel like you've gotten, you know, this awesome part of the team and you've made these big changes in this grassroots movement that you're making within the organization. And then you realize you're not living by any of your core values <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't, it'll kill your culture. 
especially when you're sitting there putting out really nice commercials of all the things that you're doing and you're got a great Instagram presence and you got a great LinkedIn presence and then everything on the inside is corrupt and dead. Yeah. Yeah. So you're saying kind of define your culture, but then live like define a culture that you can live by every day. Herb says it this way. He says, I love this. He goes, I want two guys to drive home and look at each other and go, dang, we work for this place. And look, look, look what we did this week. And yeah, look what we built. And so he's very simplistic about that. Now driving that forward, you've got to look past the bottom dollar all the time. You have got to invest. If you're going to become what I call a legacy company, at some point you've got to pump the brakes and you have got to decide where you're going to lie. Are you going to be culturally sound and you're going to move forward? Are you going to define the culture that you want? Are you wolves on Wall Street? Or are you, you know, actually wanting to build up and grow your people into something phenomenal and great? Yeah, which is so cool. So you're bringing up looking past the bottom dollar. And I want business owners out there to know those first three to five years that's all you can do to survive, right? You're literally like to make all these payments that keep all these people moving. It's just like bottom dollar, bottom dollar, bottom dollar. And then you reach a point, which we've reached this year of, okay, we want to be a viable company with a powerful team of awesome people that never want to leave. We're, we're finally, we're financially sound. We have that cushion we're good. And that's when that shift happens of, okay, we're good with the bank account. We're good in the financial area, but wow, we, we've been going so fast. Like you said, the meat grinder. Now we got to pause and think about our people and how this company affects them. How does it change their life for the better? So tell me like, what do, so we're at that phase right now of, I'll, I'll, I'll admit we've been, we've had to focus on the bottom dollar to, to make it, but now we're at f year five we can look at ourselves and say, we're okay. It's time to focus on our people. It's time to build a better culture and to learn from the mistakes we've made. What do our people need, Michael? What do they need from us? I think that's super organic. And here's the reason why I say that. I hate those kinds of terms like organic and all those catchphrases, but I really do believe it's true. Every organization is going to have a different face. They're going to have a different vibe, a different feeling, a different way they approach, you know, how they do the job. And, you know, if you are making pancakes or if you're moving earth, there's always a different approach. There's always a method to your madness. I think when we talk construction, honestly, I think safety is paramount. It's the other chief cornerstone. You know, it is one of the greatest foundations that you can possibly have to show your people that they truly care. I talked to a business leader the other day who's just growing exponentially. And I asked him, like, do you have a safety guy? And he was like, oh, nope. <laughs> I was like, buddy. And the problem in that, too, is a lot of safety people have really put a bad name out for themselves, a bad taste in the industry for safety people. It's true. There's too many safety cops out there who can't run a piece of equipment. They've never been in one, but they're sure going to tell you how to operate one. And I actually had a driller one time call me and said, Mike, this lady's asked me to do some crazy things. And so she was a safety lady in uh, Kentucky and she was asking him to fold the mast of the drill up every time he moved on the stripping. Well, the mast is important. It's, it works as a counterweight. So when you're in adverse situations, you want that counterweight to be out in front of you. And so you can bounce. And he was in some pretty tricky stuff. And so I had to call her. I'm like, look, 
you have no idea what you're talking about. You're going to get my guy killed. And so that's put a bad taste in the mouth. So if you're a safety person, you're listening today and you've got all the proof, now let me tell you something. You need to be in the field and have some humility when you approach your people. But yeah, safety is one of those things that's a chief cornerstone as you grow, especially when you get to a certain, uh, I, mean, I think if you have over 60 employees, you need to have a full-time devoted safety person. You just do. And that's hard because it's saw as overhead, but you have to decide, this is an investment. This is how we move forward It's investment. And then training. Let that safety guy work with that safety person side by side. Don't just throw them out there in that field. Teach them, train them the way that you want them to do. Let them know about the vulnerable places in your heart and soul for your organization. Because it's like a baby. And you're raising that thing. You're trying to grow it and, you know, nurture it and do it awesome things you want that baby to be flourishing you don't want them living under a bridge <laughs> yeah <laughs> not at all so you start with so we're starting from scratch so you're saying one of the cornerstones safety training is what our i, I wanted to know from you what what do our teams need because you've been in the field on the ground our guys and and gals uh because we do have females that work for us as well um they're just such grinders. They just work so hard. If I were to pause and be like, Hey, what, what would you like from our culture? They'd be like, what are you talking about, Missy? Like, this is fun, you know, whatever. I really want to know from you, what are, what, and I want other business owners listening to this. What, what do they need from us with our culture? So I hear safety training, what else? Accountability. They need accountability. And this is a hard one because, you know, some people err either one way or the other. You know, some people, I, I've known a business leader that would literally jerk someone out of a piece of equipment, like physically grab them, pull them out and tell them to go home. Okay, that's not good. And eventually you're going to grab the wrong guy or the wrong gal and you're going to get a broken nose. <laughs> um, and then on the other side, a guy that just couldn't fire anybody. He just couldn't fire anybody. And I had to help coach him like, look, this is what's best for the organization. So accountability, even for you as the leader is so important. I was on a job site once and uh, showed up with a business leader who showed up with uh, boots that were not steel toes, uh, sometimes wasn't wearing his hard hat, and was not following the same rules that he expects his employees. One of the biggest things your employees need to know is that the rules that you are holding them accountable to, that you're holding yourself accountable to as well. And then they truly know you are all in the same boat together. You're all in. It's so important. And seldom is that seen. I have been several different companies. I've literally been in hundreds of mine sites to see presidents and CEOs come into these places. Some, one in a helicopter that came out in penny loafers, which I didn't know still was a thing. <laughs> it's a thing. <laughs> they, I guess they're still out there. Penny loafers, he had khakis on and a polo shirt, came out, no safety glasses, no hard hat, walked around his mine site, got in a helicopter and left. And so <laughs> culturally, you'll kill yourself when people feel like that they're marginalized. And we see that so much in this country. Look at where we're at as a nation. You as a company, Missy, have got to be the complete opposite. And, and you said something, too, I want to touch on. And this is a little controversial, I guess, but you know, you said you have ladies working for you. We need to make the construction space safe for women to come into and all marginalized peoples to be able to come into to a safe place. So we need to be professionals for heaven's sakes. 
And we need to hold our people accountable to that. I've been on job sites where racial slurs were made towards Latin Americans or African Americans, and I've had to stop that stuff. And a lot of times, them being the minority on the site will laugh it off because they need a job, and that's not okay. I've seen filthy jokes around women who are in the, in the, in the construction industry that made them feel uncomfortable. At the sake of feeling like one of the guys, they you know, kind of shrugged that off and laughed, and it's not fair. It is not okay. The mining and heavy civil construction arena needs to, we are 50 years behind the eight ball. We are 50 years behind the game in understanding culture and understanding what it's like to build a safe environment for people to come and work every day. And so you're really taking safety beyond, it's not about building a safe environment per se of, you know, OSHA and, and, and MSHA and all these things. It's about building, how do they, do they feel safe as a person, as a human? Do they feel good about themselves? Do they feel safe to have, you know, crucial conversations and, and do women feel safe to feel the respect and even men? I mean, there's, there's a lot of yellers out there. I mean, is your culture about safety and how they feel about themselves? So you, you want a guy working in a drill or on a hoe on a 200-foot high wall when he's going to work or she's going to work every single day and feels like the team that she's on is hate him or that she's being marginalized or he's being uh, bullied and mistreated? You want that person up there? Do you want to go look at their mom or their dad or their children or their wife and have to say they're not coming home because they weren't in their head? They weren't in the right space because they were concerned about so many other things. Yeah. I absolutely love where you're taking that. Safety is so much more than it's huge. OSHA. It's safety. Like do humans feel safe in our presence? Do they feel safe to make suggestions? Do they feel safe to talk about their experience with our company? You know, it's emotional safety as well. You know, like you're saying, it's, it's incredible. So you're saying it's safety, it's training, it's accountability, um, it's people. It, it's, a, it's a culture of people and kind of humanizing our industry in a way that it's never been done before. Like you said, we're 50 years behind, not just with women, but with men. Like it, just the treatment on the job sites has to change and get better. And, and what I wanted to say today is it's critical that construction companies improve their cultures uh, for us to build a better industry. Our workforce will not sustain the amount of work out there. And I think the way to get more people in is strong cultures. But I know there's a lot out there like me who are like, can I hire you please? Because I don't know where to start. And there's only enough hours in the day. Well, and so, I want to talk to young business leaders or just business leaders, period, with this. Don't despair because there are some phenomenal things that you're doing that you're also discrediting and don't realize. One of the reasons why you do want to hire a third party is so they can look because I have nothing in it. Guys like me, we don't have anything in this. In other words, I can come in and go, look, your baby's ugly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> needs some work. <laughs> Brush her hair. <laughs> Brush her hair. She needs to take a bath. Give her a bottle. She's starving to death. And so, but because it's not my baby, you know what I mean? I can come in critically and, or someone like me can come in critically and say, hey, look, this is what I see you're doing wrong. And it's more about adjustments. And here's what you're doing right, though. And these are the things that need to be uplifted. And let's build on that. Yeah. 
I love that. So let's talk about what disconnects. This is such an important thing to talk about. What disconnects have you seen between management and the field and the construction mining industries? Um, and what are the first ways to start tackling those disconnects? There is such a disconnect right now between management, office, and field. How do we build these amazing, strong bridges between the two? Because they're both so critical to a successful business. I think one of the things that's very important, and this is a problem that's happened since, you know, since the beginning of time with teams and, and, you know, hierarchy, when there's always a hierarchical view of leadership. And I think it's funny, it just reminds me of a time I was drilling on a, in a stripping, I was about two foot of mud, it was very cold, and our safety guy came up and said, I think your rotation's too fast. So I'm drilling, I'm out at the panel, I'm on a drill tech semi. And he says, your rotation's too fast, and I think that you're not level. And I looked, I'm level. My rotation is exactly where the guy who trained me, who's been doing it for years, taught me how to do it in this area. So he just continued to tell me all the things I was done doing wrong. And I asked him, I said, hey, have you ever ran a drill? He said, no. I said, have you ever ran a piece of equipment? He was like, no. I was like, well, if I'm doing something go wrong, go talk to that guy right there, and he'll let you know whether I'm doing something wrong. And that's the disconnect. So the disconnect happens when we have people who have gone to college, they've got an education and they become in management and they're making decisions for people who are boots on the ground and they've never shoveled tracks before. Yes. Okay. So you're opening up a can of worms here, my friend. You started this. Let's just go on record right now to say you started this. So, so here's my side of that. It's not an argument. It's conversation. So we've had some, you know, field team members who are like, I want you to come in, you know, and, and experience what I do. And, and I'm planning on doing that. I'm planning on getting my class B with Deb. She really wants me to understand the operation of the truck. And there's been some other field team members who have said that. And sometimes my rebuttal is I want you to understand what it takes to sell manage, maintain the job site, the equipment, the truck, the insurance, the H. I want you to understand what I do as an office person, as a field person. And so there's just this weird disconnect, right? It's, it's on both sides. I feel like a lot of the field people or field teams that I've experienced don't have a lot of appreciation for the office staff and what they do and an understanding and vice versa. You're absolutely right. A lot of us office staff, we have not been in the equipment. You know, we don't understand it. We're focused on keeping it moving full time. Um, so how do we bridge that gap knowing that not all office people could spend a year in equipment, <laughs> not all equipment people. I mean, I, I don't think any operator wants to spend more than an hour <laughs> in the office. <laughs> Help me. Help me, Lord. <laughs> Help me, Lord. What? Um, <laughs> you need to get it in the field. You've got to take opportunities to get in the field. You don't have to learn how to drive a D8, okay? However, I've done that on top of a mountain looking at San Jose at night. Gorgeous. Did it once. I want to own one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I want a dozer so bad. Um, but you've got to get out in the field. You've got to know your people. You've got to know the hours that they're working and appreciate that. And then they have to know as well. One of the things I will say Turner does beautifully is they have so many people in the office posting about their daily lives that 
people in the field get it, that these people are working hard. Keaton does a great job of pointing out what these guys in the office are doing, the types of hours that they're pulling, the things that they're doing. He did a wonderful highlight on Ben one time, a guy named Ben, that Ben Schomburg, that he walked in and on Sunday, Keaton came in the office and had no idea Ben was actually there. They hadn't planned to meet or work, but Ben was working that Sunday to get things done. And I think that's really important in daily communication between the staff. So you in the office know what's going on in the field is important. It's very important. Got it. So you think just building stronger communication and really as a company, mixing up what we highlight. So highlight what's going on in the field shine the spotlight on those operators, on our drivers, but also shine the spotlight on what's going on in the office. Right. You know, I remember meeting a guy in Michigan who had been following our posts and stuff like that. And he just started talking to me like I knew him. Right. He just starts talking to me. We're just sitting there chatting back and forth. And I, I looked over at one of the guys. I'm like, who is this guy? I don't even know who he is. And the thing was, is because Turner had done such a good job of highlighting stuff that I was doing. This kid knew me inside and out. And then I felt ashamed of myself because I didn't know him. But literally, you know, at that point and still now you're talking to hundreds upon hundreds of people. It, it's thousands sometimes. And it's kind of hard to remember whose call sign is what on Instagram. But, you know, I got through it. And I think one of the biggest things is you've got to care. You've got to want to have a great culture. You've got to want to look at your organization not as a monster. Stop feeding the monster, okay, and get control of it. And that's through rolling out proper SOPs and how you do that properly. Are you just blasting the guys with change just all of a sudden? Are you letting them know that it's coming? Are you getting their feedback and stuff that you're trying to change? Are you, it's, it's so important. It's just such a cohesive job here. It's not, hey, I'm in the office making rules and doing this and you're out in the field doing that. It's like, no, you've really got to breed that culture. We're all in this together. And if it weren't for the guy behind the desk, the guy behind the dozer can't do his job. Yeah. And that's, you're just, I love this. So the first thing is care care about the culture. That sounds like a first step and, and that's a big one. So we're there. We care. We want a good culture. And then the second thing you're saying where I feel like maybe we've missed it a little is conversations with the field, get out in the field, have the conversations. I'm laughing at you saying this because I'm like, I tried to kind of establish some rules that I thought, not rules, but processes in the office where I thought this is going to clean things up, right? This is going to clean things up. Like it's going to get the truck organized. Deb came in, read them. And she's like, I ain't following those rules. (laughs) She's like, Missy, here's why this won't work. This won't work. And that won't work. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even think about that. In, In that moment, your first reaction in your mind needs to go, yes, I am so glad I got the feedback because I could afford this. And, and that's where too many people see the baby, right? So they roll out SOPs or they roll out stuff and then the field goes back and goes, no, this sucks. And that's usually how you're going to hear it, right? You're not going to hear, gee, I think this could be adjusted in this way or that way. No, it's like, this sucks. Well, one, you didn't get any kind of feedback from them in the first place to see what's even going on. And especially in the construction industry or mining, every site is different. Right. And there's so much brilliant on the job sites. It's like, what I learned from that situation is, wow, our team is so brilliant. 
They have so much experience and knowledge. I will never put out another procedure or process or standard without checking in with them and saying, what do you think about that? So care, have the conversation, any other pillars or cornerstones that you feel are important when you're, you know, really embarking on this amazing mission of building a strong construction culture. When I teach self-defense, I always tell people when they're upset about not doing something the way I've showed them. I said, it's sure a hell of a lot better than getting in the fetal position and doing this. <laughs> right? So continue to try. And then when something fails, guess what? That's beautiful. Just did a podcast on the Bowman Legacies podcast about failure. You know, a baby does not see trying to walk and falling down as failure. But that baby keeps getting up, don't they? The next day, they keep getting up. They keep getting up. They keep getting up. But what they do is they learn. We teach them what failure is. We teach them the shame behind failure. You need to embrace failure and understand that when you're trying to make your company culturally sound, you've still got to pay the bills at the end of the day, right? You still got to keep the lights on. You still got to keep the hydraulic oil and the blood and the gluts and the glory going out, going on in the field. You got to keep your customer happy. And that's an edge too on culture, being transparent enough to even ask your customer, how are we doing? Ask people, how are we doing? And realize you're going to fail and that's okay because then you learn and you adjust. There be, it's a beautiful thing that you can learn. So really quick, I, I got so much into company culture, you know, selfishly, I was excited to learn from you, but I know there's a lot of business owners that listen to this podcast. There are also a lot of operators that listen to this podcast. Talk to me about, you know, personal development and personal coaching or, or kind of what are some of the key things that have made a huge impact in the operator's uh, life, you know, when you've been out in the field with them? What, what do they need from you, like personal development-wise, coaching-wise? I uh, one time uh, shanghaied a bunch of the youngest guys on a job site. I purposely took them all out to eat, and then I found the youngest guys there, and I said, hey, let me drive you back to the hotel in my truck. And so they all eagerly piled in. And um, so I asked them as I'm driving down the road, it's this long, lonely road in Northern Michigan. And I asked them, so what are you doing here? And there was this long pause. And they were like, uh, in your truck? I was like, no, man, what are you doing here working for us? What are you doing here? And they're like, well, um, I'm a haul truck driver or I, you know, I, I'm a hoe operator. I'm a dozer guy. I'm this, I'm that. I'm like, oh, okay, no, no. But what are you doing here? And helping the people that work for you realize that they mean something and that what they're doing means something even for their personal selves. Cause these guys were going out drinking every night. These guys were out there partying every night and they were spending everything they were making and having nothing to show for what they were doing. So taking that time to invest in them emotionally is so powerful. And I'm going to tell you business leaders, look, these kids that work for you, and I say kids because I'm getting longer in the tooth and grayer in the beard, right? These kids see you as a father figure or a mother figure. They see you as an authoritative figure. And when you show up to the job site and you give them the way to go and the pat in the back, it means so much more than you actually taking them out for beers. It means so much to them. They're working for you. They're writing for your brand. They're wearing it on their heads, you know, 
I, uh, there's a Midwest Mole is a company in Indianapolis. And I talk to these guys every once in a while online. And I had the privilege of talking to one on a, on a phone conversation and had a picture of one of their workers doing this. And on his bicep was the Midwest, Midwest Mole logo tattooed on his bicep. That's awesome. It's like, that is that's the guy who rides for the brand. So that's hey, culture right there. <laughs> that's culture, baby. But it's bigger than that, right? It's so huge. And culture is an enormous thing. And too many times we feel like it's the beer. It's the taking them out to eat, take them to Vegas. Vegas is awesome. It's such a wonderful time. Had some of the greatest memories of my life there and having meeting some phenomenal people. But that's not the end of it. They got to know that you're there for them. Yeah. So you're saying the bigger impact is really stopping out on the field, like taking a look at their work and saying, Hey, you're doing an awesome job. You made that customer happy. This is amazing. It's it, all back to value, you know, which you've touched on a lot. Alicia in the previous episode talked about culture, modeling culture and value that people at the end of the day want value. And so I love that these first two episodes on effective construction leadership have really talked about value and valuing your people and modeling what your expectations are of them, which is exciting. So I do want to dive a little into workforce development. Um, I think it's an important conversation. Where do you think construction companies work? Where can we do better when it comes to recruitment and retention? And you can't just say culture. <laughs> nope, I'm not going to. Um, you know, last year when I was in Vegas, I saw uh, Mr. Starbuck get up there and uh, said some pretty, <laughs> I love that I guy. I love Jimmy. And, uh, I do. I love that guy. Jimmy and one Starbuck of the that- is honestly one of our favorites. We are personally close to him. We absolutely love I, Jimmy. I can hear him say the Instagram over and over. The Instagram. He told me in Vegas, I follow you on the Instagram. And I just died. I died laughing so hard. And so, but he said, no, he, he said, I recruit quality people. I pay them their worth and I'm honest and fair with them. And this is a huge problem in our industry. And especially in the United States, we love to look flashy. We love to look big. We love to look all together. And then when we show up, we find out that the culture isn't where we thought it was. We find out that maybe the foreman is kind of a scumbag, (laughs) but he can get the job done. He's not much of a leader. And then we find out that this isn't such a great place to work. And then they become disenfranchised and then they leave. And so when we recruit, we've got to be honest. If I tell you, Missy, look, we're going to battle. You and me, me and you, we're going to war. Here's the enemy. This is what they look like. I have every weapon to my disposal. And you show up. I have two 10-speed bikes and a fishing pole. You're going to be pissed at me. (laughs) Good point. (laughs) Right? You're going to be like, whoa, whoa, wait, whoa. Whoa, this is funny. You know, nice joke, right? You're joking. I'm like, well, this is it. This is all I got. And that's what a lot of people are doing in recruitment. A lot of recruiters out there are spinning stuff, especially corporate recruiters are spinning stuff like everything's coming up roses. Everything's phenomenal. Everything's wonderful. And then when they get there, they realize there it isn't. And anybody going into a new position has to know it's not all roses. But I want to hear the truth behind things. I recruited a safety guy one time, a corporate safety guy for a, a, a national company. And I told him, I said, hey, look, this is how it is. This is where we suck. This is what's wrong with us. This is the mountain that you've got to climb. I'm here for you 110% and I will never leave your side. 
but this is what you've got to go through. Now, on the other hand, this is what's great about us. This is what's phenomenal about us. But I let people know the full entire package so they don't feel like I've lied to them. And too many recruiters are great at getting those numbers in, but they're not great at being honest. And some of them don't even know. They're just feeding out rhetoric that they've heard or they think they've Right. And this is a great kind of principle that I, I know Turner Mining, you know, Turner Mining Liz on Instagram, she just talked about, it's like, you got to really give them the full picture. And one of our laborers that we recently hired, he, he had the stars in his eyes. I want to be an excavator operator. And I'm like, oh boy, I've hired a few of those. <laughs> we don't, if we don't have them in the excavator in a year, they're mad. Right. Um, so I was honest with him. I said, you do, you, you, it's going to be years years, you know, for you to really master and learn and be around our lead operators. They're going to give you time. We can give you time quickly within a year, but I was fully honest with him where in the past I was like, that's great. You know, like we should try to get you in there and try to get your training or whatever. But for the type of work we do, the foundation digging, you have to know grade and surveying and it's just digging a ditch or digging a hole or loading a truck. No, you're not a dirt donkey. You're doing things to precise. It's very meticulous. And so I gave him a realistic picture and he was pumped. He's like, I'm in, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with five years. I'm fine with seven years. And I was like, that was awesome. Like you said, that honesty, that transparency. So you're saying one of the keys in recruitment is give them the honest, fair picture, which is something you you quoted Jimmy Starbuck on. I love that. I love that. So you're a big proponent of public praise and recognition, which is awesome. How can leaders better acknowledge their staff and make them feel valued? This is, this is a hard one. And, and I'll tell you, it's hard because you can give a million dollars in ones to a guy and they'll still complain, right? They're going to wonder why they weren't highlighted, especially if you're a large company. This is hard. You know, this is a hard thing to do to highlight every single person. But to do it consistently, you're showing your other employees what to live up to. And what's awesome is I, I highlighted an employee one time that wasn't so great in some other areas. And I got phone calls like, hey, that guy's such a jerk here, here, and here, and here. I'm like, I know. But I didn't talk about there. I talked about how awesome he is here, here, and here. And it gives an opportunity for everyone not to feel like they have to be perfect and they're good at some things. And highlighting your people it's just giving them the credit. We're growing so fast as far as organizations. Even now we're, we're trying to figure out, okay, we're getting spread thin. How are we scaling? It's madness. Could we even scale? You know? And so as, especially in construction industry, we've been so blessed, you know, uh, mining to grow and to be able to grow exponentially. So it's hard to do that. Just keep doing it. Don't stop. Don't get discouraged. Just Keep doing it. You're going to get complaints no matter what you do. <laughs> so keep going. Keep being consistent. I love that. And what advice would you give, you know, to the workforce out there, the laborers, the operators um, for their career advancement or where they are? Maybe they just came into our industry. Um, maybe the culture is great at their company they're at. Maybe it's not, um, but they're excited to be in our industry. What, what kind of advice would you give them? I don't care what the culture is, you be the culture. You, first and foremost, you be the change you want to see. Stop pointing out how everybody else, yep, take personal ownership over yourself and live it. 
and I'm going to tell you, you will advance. If you're in a haul truck today, you watch what that dozer does. You don't take your eye off of it. You pay attention. You learn. You show up on time. You do what no one else wants to do. You, you be the person who is willing to carry the shield and the sword into battle no matter what, and you will advance. You will move forward. You'll get in the dozer. Once you're in the dozer, if you want to be in the hoe, okay. You watch what that hoe does. You study. It's not just about cashing it in, turning on your Bluetooth, and just doing the job because it's a job. If you want to advance, the template has not changed for a millennia. Show up. Take personal ownership of yourself. Take personal criticism and grow like crazy. And I'm telling you, you will move forward. Wow. That is I'm that is awesome. That is what I feel like so many field guys I, I they reach out and they're like, I want to grow, I want to advance, I I want to be in management and and I've struggled on what to tell them to do. And they're asking me, you're the you're an owner. What do you do? Um, that was phenomenal. Personal ownership, be the change you want to see, be there first, be there last. Owners do notice that. Like we can't not notice it. It's just like wow, you know, there's that guy this person he- wants to be here. And what a lot of people like if you're in, if you're a laborer right now, or you're a, you're an operator of some kind, you're not a business leader, I want you to hear this, you have no idea what it's like to be a business leader. And look at your field of people that and see the bulk of people who just don't want to be there. It's maddening when you're saying, Look, I'm paying you to do this, we made an agreement. I didn't lie to you. And you still don't want to be here. And because I've got to pay the bills, I've still got to keep your grouchy behind in that piece of equipment. And that's the rub. If you're the guy who's saying, man, look, I'm here to lop heads. I'm here to take over. I'm here and I'm going to do whatever I'm asked. I can be a part of any team. There is no leader I cannot work for. I'm sick to death of hearing guys go, I can't work for that guy. Look, I never said that. I worked for every most maniacal, awful leaders, and I still carried their shield. And then I advanced because of it, because I could get along with anybody. I love that. So take the personal ownership, do all those things. It will happen. It, it, it's just like inevitable. It's inevitable. And it's so noticeable. I know for us as owners, the, those guys that are, we think we're the first ones out there. You know, I was out there this morning starting Deb's truck and, and one of my guys is already there. And I'm like, oh, you're here early. Your instant thought as an owner is what can I do for that person to advance them? What an awesome attitude. What a great thing. So this was so inspiring on so many fronts, not just for business leaders, but for operators and field team. The more we can work together to promote each other, the better industry we're going to build. All I got to say at the end of this episode is you're hired. <laughs> to help us on our culture. Come on into Minneapolis. Let's, let's make this happen. Um, real quick, what are, I want you to talk about the podcast that you really enjoy. You know, how do we all advance? One, we're going to start listening to your podcast. I'm very excited that you're doing that um, to be legacy. I love you're using the word legacy, legacy, legacy. As an operator, what's my legacy? As an owner, what's my legacy? Um, but two, what are any other podcasts that we can listen to to get the Michael Bowman you know, like the uh, facelift Friday every day. <laughs> How do you feed yourself to be just with this awesome energy that's very inspiring and exciting? I tell you what, I watch a guy and have talked to him several times, uh, and I don't know how he does it because he literally gets th- thousands of comments. But um, 
tried to get him on my podcast actually and got turned down, but I'm going to keep trying. Uh, Ed Milet. I'm going to tell you something. This is a man who doesn't have to give. He is a millionaire made over. I don't know how many times, but he has chosen to take his life and go, I've got to give back massively. And he is an inspiration to me. And he has fed me for a long time. And I'll tell you who turned me on to him. I'd never even heard of the guy, Keaton Turner, one time. You've got to listen to this. So we're flying from Hartford, Connecticut to Detroit. And by the time I got to Detroit, I told him I'm ready to eat a house, man. That podcast was awesome. And so, and so I haven't stopped and had had the privilege to actually have conversations with a man. He is an inspiration. And it doesn't matter if you're an executive or if you're a guy just carrying a shovel every day. I don't care where you are in life. His podcast will change your life. Awesome. So we are turned on to that as far as personal growth and, and give me one on um, facelift Friday. I, I will love your you sprung that one on me. Fridays. This is a curveball for you. I told you I'd have a few. Curveball. Um, oh gosh. What okay. Awesome thing. I know Trevor's like enough with your curveballs. Like by the end of the week, he's get this girl out of here. <laughs> She's on fire. <laughs> hey, I'm, ha I'm half Hispanic. So it is what it is. Um, a little bit feisty. So facelift Friday is awesome because, you know, sometimes you're at the end of the week and Hey, it's either been a tough week or a great week. If you got a frown, how do we turn it upside down? Um, tell me what inspired you to start facelift Friday and what's a core value of facelift Friday. I didn't know anyone was paying attention. Um, <laughs> I took it as turn the, you know, like get your yeah. facelift, like lift it up. Yes, smile. Exactly right. The thing about facelift Friday is first of all, I think it's, I've always loved the comedians that were willing to just make a complete ass of themselves to make someone else laugh. And so if that works for me, then it, you know, I've, the mission has been, um, been, uh, complete, but for me, the core value of it is just loving people that I don't even know. And just trying to point out and highlight that you've got greatness in you. So start living like it. Smile. We're all in this together. You know, we're a kaleidoscope of people. We're brown people. We're black people. We're red people. We're white people. You know, I don't know what you want to label yourself as, but ultimately we're a people. And so we have to understand that we are absolutely 100% all in this together and we need to love one another. And we do. And that's what gets the job done at the end of the day. I absolutely love it. And I just think this was such a great episode. I want to do like 10 more with you. <laughs> I will be happy to. <laughs> but here's what I'm, I'm walking away with. All the, the operators and field guys out there who really want to advance and grow in their career, they've got to reach out to you. You'd be a great coach for them. You know, companies who want to improve their culture, whether they're small or large, you could really infuse a culture of, of safety and care um, into any size business and they need to reach out to you as well. They just got to get in the back in line. Cause I'm first in line. <laughs> One of the things actually that we do do is, uh, LinkedIn and Instagram coaching, um, because we found success there. My partner and I, um, uh, love to coach you in that. We've found some great results with our clients. Um, you can look on my LinkedIn and you can see some on my bio there. Some people have just said some great things. Yeah, we, we and we love coaching you on your personal life because here's the thing, guys, you aren't going to advance ever if you don't get this thing up here right. And that thing has got to understand, yeah, you can make millions of dollars and still be a butthole. <laughs> the fact of the matter is at the end of the day, you want people to look in your casket and while they're grieving, they're grieving because of the loss of someone they love dearly and fed them and gave them so much. 
and enrich their lives every day. And so that's the biggest takeaway. I want anybody to take away today, whether it's working with me or not, or just taking personal ownership to change your life. I don't care where you are. I don't care if you're in prison right now. I've seen people's lives change. I don't care if you're divorced right now. I've seen people's lives change. I don't care where you're at. You can grow. You can move forward. It just takes time and determination and you've got it well within you. I love it. So any, we can all do this. We can all build a legacy within our respective uh, roles, regardless of where they are and just knowing our value. And like you said, taking personal ownership to make the change, to be the change, I think is just one of the most inspiring things I heard um, today. So we're going to shift gears a little, got to end it with a little fun, rapid fire round. Um, so here we go. One more curveball for you. Uh, what was your first job? I'm talking very first job. My first job was hod carrying, so I mixed mortar and carried concrete block and stone. So that was my first, my first official, you actually have to sign a W-4 and all that kind of stuff. Yes, job. yes, that is much cooler than being the receptionist at Great Clips, let me tell you. <laughs> hey, my wife's a hairstylist. <laughs> that was my first job. I know more about hair than any man should know. I can tell from that, that mane of yours. Um, <laughs> what was your first car? My first car was a, the year escapes me, but it was a Toyota Land Cruiser Jeep with the fold down seats in the back. And uh, yeah, it smoked real bad, but I wish I still had it. You fancy, huh? Oh, I love that thing, man. If you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? I would love to be a backcountry survivalist trainer. That's something that I, I used to teach uh, young people. Um, kind of like how to spend that night in the woods and, and get out and make it. And uh, I would love to do that full time. It's awesome. What song gets you pumped up in the morning? Led Zeppelin immigrant song. Woo. I like it. Who is the person you wish you could have dinner with? Ed Milet all the way. I was going to answer that for you. I love it. If you're listening, Ed. Ed, we're here <laughs> for you. Come on this podcast too. <laughs> Oh, dude, absolutely. Help the construction industry. Um, what is your dream piece of equipment? Oh, God. So, I heard that Dozer yeah. D8. I heard Cat the drill. I mean. Cat Dozer D8. Brand new, though. I want it brand new. No scratches. I want to put the scratches on it. <laughs> okay. Caterpillar, did you hear that? He wants the factory tour and he wants to drive it off the lot. <laughs> I'm sure they would be more than happy to sell me one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What technology uh, is going to be, you know, because you've been on this side of it, you've seen how tech and equipment affects teams. I mean, you've seen that hands-on on the job site. What technology is going to be the biggest game changer uh, in the next five years, in your opinion? Autonomous. Autonomous. I think that's, uh, it's a little scary and it's uh, pretty awesome at the same time. So, you know, I kind of have mixed feelings having had been with the operators and been an operator myself. So I'm worried on what that will do for our industry, but I think it'll be a game changer if it's done right, hopefully for the best, but um, it, it will, we'll just have to see. Yeah. Who are some of the brands that you're seeing uh, kind of pave the way in that? Well, definitely Cat has some things. I know um, Volvo has some Komatsu definitely are, are working towards it. Um, I've seen an autonomous drill. Um, EpiRock right now has the Smart Rock, which is pretty much, I mean, you sit in a cab, but it does everything for you. 
for the most part. You just pretty much tram to the hole and, and it does it for you. So it's very an impressive piece of equipment. Big fan of EpiRock, as a matter of fact. I just, a wonderful piece of equipment. Um, so. Yeah. So, and, and it's interesting because autonomy, the autonomous equipment can really make an impact in what you talked about, the safety, um, as long as it's done well, because there's some sketchy situations in construction. I'm excited for it. Yeah, I've almost blown up a time or two and ran over by a triple seven. So, you know, I don't know what it's like. Hey, so. you've been there, been there. And did, any autonomous equipment that you saw at Con Expo, were you able to? I was not. Uh, I, I was so, um, and gladly, I was so gladly, everywhere I went, I actually, people were just pulling at me everywhere I went. And so it was a weird experience for me because I've never really had that before. But um, so I didn't have a ton of time really to just, enjoy the equipment like I wanted to. Look at the iron, right? Yeah. Um, which speaking of Con Expo, I mean, what an awesome, awesome event to bring us all together. It just, we always talk about this on the podcast and everyone just starts, I, I'm watching you right now, just be like, oh my gosh, you can't put words to it. You can't put words. There's no, the, just this year too, because I've been to it before. And um, this last year when I, this year when I went, just to see, so many people, and I guess my experience was different than the first time for some reason, but this second time, so many people with the same mindset and so many smiles was overwhelming to me because, you know, I was a wrestler in high school and I uh, wasn't very good. And, uh, you know, I did some martial arts, but those, you know, everywhere I went, it was always roostering. There was a lot of posturing. And here it was just a lot of people going, whoa, you know, and just look. It was so great. And then the panels and to be able to speak was such a privilege and to be able to meet people that just so desperately want to see our industry be the best in the world. Because I'm telling you, Canada, Australia, these countries are really pushing hard to be the best and we're the best. Dang it. We need to be the best. <laughs> Let's just put it out there. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. It is. Everyone had a smile on their face. You're in awe. You feel like a dreamer, but you also feel like a doer. Like, wow, if look at what this equipment can do. Look at what these people can do. Look at what these OEM companies can do to build our world and empower me to be a part of that. It's, it's the coolest thing. Then there's the panels, which were epic. It was honestly one of my favorite parts were the panels, uh, were the trainings. I, I really, I lost Trevor literally for a week. He was all into the iron and just gone. And like, looking at me like I'm not going to no class. <laughs> now we talked about uh, culture recruitment and retention at yours and, at ours. Yeah. And we got to speak. And so we got to speak in the main pavilion and then we were at the Mirage. Uh, Very cool. Speaking. Yeah. It was awesome. That was the it best was, part. I loved those wow. panels and those discussions and we'll have to figure out a way if there's a way to share yours. Um, maybe we can share your, uh, your panel with this podcast. That'd be so great. So what was your favorite memory? My favorite memory, um, gosh, my favorite memory was just, just meeting phenomenal people. That's just all there is to it, especially on the panel that you ran uh, with Jimmy up there and, and Aaron was up there and knowing Aaron and having had known Aaron for a while and been on sites with Aaron before. And it just to see kind of the future of where we are going as a nation kind of, you know, when I was a kid construction, you know, you, you could drag your knuckles and, 
and, and really not know a whole lot and just be hateful and mean. And, and that's what it was all about. But now to see these professionals up there talking about things and how they're trying to invest in their people and move the industry and the nation forward was inspiring. And I, I was just honored by the whole thing. I love it. I love that you love the tech experience. Um, I know Jordan at Con Expo worked really hard for that influencer meetup and it was a smashing success. It was the highest attended event there. And I think that really spoke to the construction industry of here's what we need to be doing more of. I have one beef. One beef. Oh boy. One beef. So I got up to get a beer and they were all gone. <laughs> I literally stood up, turned around. I knew I had to be fast, you know, ran over and they're like, we're out of beer. Okay. You know what? I don't That's think they were, <laughs> they weren't prepared for how much uh, construction workers and contractors love beer. <laughs> Holy cow. It was like a mass exodus. It was like, Ooh, it's no? gone. we will make that improvement next time. Well, I can't thank you enough for sharing your joy, your, you know, ups and downs in the industry, what you've learned from them and really your empowerment on this episode. Thank you for empowering us to be better business owners, to be better leaders on the field, off the field. Um, you're just a very inspiring person. And it was an honor to have you here on the podcast today. So Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good one. And that's going to wrap up this edition of Con Expo Con Ag Radio. If you like the show and think other people should listen too, make sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. We'll be back next time with another great guest. Until that time, be sure to visit conexpoconag.com forward slash connect for even more ways to connect with the industry. 